0: Welcome to The Favourites, the podcast from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman, and I am joined by the one and only, one of my favorite people in the world, even when he's not being nice to me, which I know he doesn't feel like doing today, Blackjack Fletcher. Hi, my beautiful brother. Now, like, you're just being short. And, And normally, this is the point where, like, You'd be mean to me, and I'd be like, why? And But we're not going to get into that today. You know why? No. We're not going to get into that because uh, Baxter Holmes of ESPN wrote a great story uh, about the Los Angeles Lakers dysfunction that posted today, and it just so happened that the NBA Finals are starting on Thursday, and uh, Brian Windhorst, who is one of the premier... NBA insiders, reporters, and analysts in all of America, was already scheduled to come on the podcast today. So we got him on, and he obviously has written multiple books on LeBron James, so he knows LeBron, his camp, and what's happening in the Lakers intimately. So he could speak eloquently to the scenario in LA and also to Baxter's story. Uh, and he could talk to us about the finals, um, for which we had a lot of questions, and sort of handicapped the finals a little bit for us. Sounds good. So instead of you giving me one word answers, that was two. We're just, we're just going to go into Brian Windhorst right now. So let's, let's listen to the interview we just did with Brian Windhorst. As promised, joining the favorites podcast. Listen, this was one of my favorite colleagues at ESPN because he can do so many things. He can write a story on deadline. He is one of the best, most connected insiders in the NBA He can uh, synthesize complex information for television on a moment's notice, and he does it all with a smile, almost the complete opposite of my co-host. From ESPN, insider, analyst extraordinaire, author of multiple books, including the latest LeBron Inc., which you can pick up anywhere books are sold, Mr. Brian Winhorst. How are you, buddy?
1: Now he says this. Before, he was always the the side-eye that I got when I was a subordinate. But I appreciate it nonetheless.
0: That's because he's two-faced, Brian. No, it's more like (laughs) I, listen, I am, I hold back my love and the compliments until after it's over. While it's happening, I want people to be inspired and somewhat fearful. How's that working out with your kids? That's right. (laughs) My kids love me. (laughs) That's cute. Oh, Brian, I'm sorry you're in the middle of all this tension. How are you, man? Listen, there is there is a lot going on in the NBA. I think we got you on on the perfect day. You know, Baxter Holmes, uh, uh, you know, your colleague who I actually hired at ESPN. Um, <laughs> can we not make this all about you? Has a phenomenal story today out about the Lakers. And before we get into the Warriors-Raptors finals, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, like, what did you think of that story?
1: Well, I think that the Lakers, what we can see, which is their, some of their decision-making over the last few years, speaks for itself. Um, they do not, they're not an organization that gives off the impression that they have a lot of infrastructure and positive workflows. Um, there are teams that are, you know, what you would call "quote unquote" smart teams, or teams with terrific infrastructure, teams that have uh, great experience and good decision makers that make bad decisions. Because, you know, it's it's basketball is hard. There's choices you have to make that sometimes don't work out, etc. So, um, the Lakers are not alone. But their their decisions that they've made out in public for everybody to see have been generally poor. They've got a couple of victories, but they've got a lot of losses, and so it's really not a surprise that the interior of their organization is not entirely what you would call functional. Though I must say that if you assigned any reporter to any organization, whether it was the San Antonio Spurs, whether it was the, um, you know, who's your class organization, the, the Warriors, whether it was the Raptors, you would probably find people who are unhappy about things the way they were going just as if anybody was assigned to you know cover any of the places we've ever worked in our lives i mean so th- n- n- nothing is ever a honeymoon um but i think more than anything even if it was dysfunctional on the interior if it functioned properly on the exterior then it wouldn't be as big of a deal but because it's been so dysfunctional outwardly it makes it easy to see what's what's going on internally were you surprised given the fact that that
0: you know, you you know the interior of organizations as well as anybody. Were you surprised last year when a LeBron signed with the Lakers? Um, well, let's first answer that question, and then I'll answer. I'll ask my follow up.
1: I was not surprised he he signed with the Lakers. If you were watching his and his team's movements over the previous eighteen months, they were telegraphing it. I was not a hundred percent sure he was going to go in two thousand eighteen. Um, just like I wasn't a I mean, you know, they were telegraphing coming back to Cleveland and I wasn't a hundred percent sure, um, that it was going to be 2014 when he went back. I think part of that is just as a reporter, you're skeptical and you hold back to you really nail things down. Um, you could see it coming. What I was surprised about Chad was that he went there without the Lakers looking like they had a definitive plan of what they were doing. It was almost like it was ready, shoot, aim, as opposed to ready, aim, shoot, which is the way he had operated in free agencies in the past. I guess that, you know what,
0: you just answered my question in a better way than I asked it, which was, this team was already in chaos. So why does LeBron sign there thinking, I know I'm going to make it better? Or did he not care because he just wanted to be in L.A.? I
1: think there was two reasons. I think hubris played into it because I think LeBron feels that any team that he's a part of, he can sort of clean things up, whether it's how they play, how they're operated, uh, how their leadership is. I mean, and he did that to a certain extent in Cleveland, you know, the four years he was gone from Cleveland, they were, you know, a non-playoff team. They won the lottery three of the four years, which is incredible fortune, but also tells you that they're in the lottery with high odds. And, um, uh, I think he felt like I'll just go to L.A. and I'll sort of fix it. Just bring the mess to me and I'll make it pretty. And I think the other thing was that it wasn't wholly a basketball decision. And he, he have, people have used this against him, guys, um, over the last year. They've said, well, this is what you get when you move out to Hollywood to make movies and TV shows, etc. And, and I would say that... Yeah, but he could have made Space Jam from Cleveland. Space Jam was already in the works before he signed with the Lakers. And when he came back to Cleveland, that was not a whole basketball decision. The Cavs were not a championship contender. It took him sort of finessing the Kevin Love trade and took them making over their roster a couple of times. It wasn't like that was a ready-made team, like, for example, that Durant went to. So that was a family decision as well. And so I think part of it was, yes, he wanted to be closer to the media business, which he is going to be heavily involved in for the foreseeable future future. And yes, I think he just he and his family wanted to live in L.A. at this point in their careers and, and at this point in his kids' lives. So, um, I, I mean, saying that it wasn't a whole basketball decision I don't think is something to be used against him even though I'm sure it has been and will continue to be. Alright, so you
0: literally wrote the book on LeBron. In fact, you've done it multiple times. The last one, LeBron Inc., which just came out in April, uh, speaks to everything that you're talking about, like his ambitions, his hopes. When, When you understand that, can you think that LeBron is fully focused on what's happening on the court?
1: He, I do believe that he does as best as he possibly can. Um, he uses a line, man. He uses this line probably fifty times a year, and it totally came from Pat Riley. And for all I know, Pat Riley took it from somebody else. I don't know if he took it from Adolf Rupp or something. But Pat Riley, one of the things that he likes to say is, "Keep the main thing the main thing." And LeBron will talk about that all the time. You'll hear him say, I just got to focus on the main thing, um, which is his basketball. And if you look at the way he approaches the seasons, typically he does do that. I think the one challenge with LeBron is his investment in, 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 in the season while it's going on. So what I, what I mean by that is, There were times in Cleveland where he was so frustrated with the coaching or he was so frustrated with the roster or various teammates that he kind of would go into a little bit of a shell. And, um, you know, last year, in particular, the 2017-18 season, he got so frustrated at one point that I felt like he even took his foot off the gas. Um, He would probably deny this vigorously, but this is just my perception. It wasn't like he said it, but I was watching him play and noticing that he wasn't, in my mind, going all out. And when they traded half the roster at the trade deadline, he immediately reapplied his foot to the gas and had um, one of the best playoff runs of his life. As good as Kawhi Leonard has been in this playoffs, I think if, if there was a vote, he would be voted MVP of the playoffs. If you go back and look at the actual raw numbers, LeBron was better. He, last year, and not only that, he was actually better by a little bit of a space, so a little bit of a margin. So not really that close. That's how great LeBron was, but he definitely was guilty, in my opinion, of backing off. So um, to me, that's where I think he can kind of be criticized for, not necessarily focusing on things that are off the court. I think he's always done a good job of balancing and focusing on, but losing faith in his team, which is one of the things that is something he, he admits that he fights. He's even said that he's tried to clean up his body language, tried to clean up when he's passive-aggressive against his teammates, because he, he recognizes that it is a weakness.
2: Brian, looking forward to uh, June 30th this year when free agency begins, I'm looking at a list of the top eight free agents in basketball, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler, those guys, the Lakers are not favored to land a single one of them. So if you were sending me $100 to walk over to New Jersey and bet in a sports book, which one of these guys would I bet is going to be LeBron's teammate this fall?
1: Okay, so I think you have to draw a line. In my mind, it's not really A free agents. There's four what I've been describing as A-plus level free agents. I would like to just call them A, but I don't want to have the other guys assigned as B and have that used against me. So (laughs) um, in terms of inclusion, I will say the A-plus free agents. So, And they're all Ks, just so they they fit nicely. Um, Clay Thompson – um, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, and Kevin Durant, the four A-plus Ks. Um, those four players, in my mind, are players that if the Lakers got them, they would be championship contenders with LeBron and some maneuvering with their roster. Um, they're complete, straight, difference-making players. Um, I don't know if you want to call them top 12 players, top 15, top 8, I don't know, whatever you want to do. Uh, Anthony Davis is sort of an ancillary piece on that list, but he is not a free agent per se, so I'll leave him off of it for now. In my mind, the big decision and the big thing for the Lakers is if you can't get any of those four players, what is your plan B? Is your plan B to go after the A-level Ks, as I call them, Chris Middleton, Kemba Walker? I'll put uh, Jimmy Butler in that regard, Tobias Harris. Those are all A-level players, but in my opinion, not difference makers. Um, Or do you do you go a different route? Do you go sign um, you know, more role-supporting players? Do you try to sign guys on one-year contracts to reenter the market to try to get Anthony Davis one of those A-plus free agents a year from now, etc.? And to me, that's what the Lakers are really confronting. They're not going to have much of a control on what those four guys at the top are going to do because – you know this is a great free agent year but even in comparison to other great free agent years like let's go back to 2010 for example when you had you know lebron and bosh and wade and joe johnson out there and there was a couple other star players those guys weren't like this group in that they didn't have titles all four of those a plus guys have all won championships? They don't have to join a team to "quote unquote" chase a title. I think if you look at them, um, and, and really we just have to guess because all of their personalities are a bit off what you consider the, uh, a mainstream personality. Clay Thompson is one of the most unique guys you'll ever see in the NBA for various reasons. Durant and um, and uh, and Kyrie, in my mind, are very mercurial. Um, Change their mind about things uh, on a weekly basis, if not daily. And we could sit here and I could tell you what, who to put a bet on. That's why I would think it would be dangerous. You'd have to get really good odds. Because I could tell you to put a bet on Kyrie. I could tell you, oh yeah, uh, Kyrie's best friend called me this morning and told me X. Go bet on X. And that may be accurate information. Kyrie may wake up on June 15th and decide to go to something else. And then he may wake up on June 30th and decide to go another place. And that's just the reality of those guys. And then Kawhi is a guy who's almost impossible to read. The, the Raptors have spent a year trying to read him, and I don't think they have a good read on him. So we're talking about all these guys who have priorities who, that are not what you would call typical basketball priorities, and they all have championships. They have nothing to prove. So they are very volatile and, and predicting what they're going to do. So if you're the Lakers and you don't know, and then, by the way, these other teams don't know either. I talk to these teams all the time that are going for them. They don't know. Nobody has a good feel. The Celtics don't know what's going to happen. The Clippers don't know what's going to happen. The Lakers don't know. You, what you really are incumbent on doing um, if, um, if you're preparing for this is, you, is, is making your plan B, C, D, E, F, G. And, if you're, again, if you're making a wager, <laughs> make sure you factor that into the price that you get. Right. Because if, if, if you make a wager today, information that things are going to change, they're going to change that price dramatically and may change how you feel about that wager for the next six weeks. Of those top four guys
2: you mentioned, Durant, Irving, Thompson, and Leonard, which one do you think LeBron would most like to play with?
1: Um, I think Durant would be amazing to play with him. Um, I think Durant is going to be has a chance to be a top five to 10 all-time player. He's maybe built better to score than any player in the history of the game. That doesn't mean that he'll end up with more points than Abdul Jabbar, um, or more scoring titles than Jordan, but there's never been a player who's come to um, the NBA. Who's built to score like him, the game of the, he, he, the game of basketball for him is different than it's been for anybody else. We've never seen a man of that size with that shooting ability. Just never seen it. And, um, and uh not only that but he's proven you know he did have that foot issue but he's generally proven to be durable i mean you look at him and you don't think that he couldn't play another 10 years i mean how long is his prime his prime is as long as he can kind of stay healthy and run that could be six seven eight nine more years so you know that's a guy that i'd like to get into into, um, a deal with um now i'll tell you that Kyrie and LeBron's games are brilliantly paired together. They are, their basketball games were made to play with each other because Kyrie is a guy who can handle the ball and remove pressure from LeBron for creating the offense, but also play off the ball. So when LeBron wants to dominate it, he can set, he can set Kyrie up. And it's no you know accident that they made three finals playing together. They won one finals, And that team that they lost 4-1 to, the, the, the first year Durant was in Golden State, the 2017 team, in my mind, that team probably wins the championship in like 75% of the seasons in NBA history, maybe higher. Uh, I know that they lost 4-1, but they lost 4-1 to maybe the greatest team of all time that year. Uh, that team won 16-1. and I'd like to remind you, um, the, the Warriors. Uh, the Cavs went through the East playoffs at 12-1. and They were a dominant team. Kyrie and LeBron are beautifully matched as players. Unfortunately, their personalities do not match. And um, in addition to who wants to sort of be the dominant figure and sort of the voice of the locker room, LeBron always kind of had a, I'm going to be the older brother or even a father figure to you, Kyrie, and Kyrie does not want that. Um, And so I don't know, I doubt that their person, especially since they've already been to the mountaintop, I think their their, their difference in their personalities makes it unlikely. Um, But my goodness, probably the best fitting teammate LeBron's ever had.
0: I feel like one of the dynamics that was really clear in the story about the Lakers today is the influence agents have, despite the, the, Protests of Rich Paul, who is LeBron's agent, uh, in the making of a roster and the management of a franchise, and that throws any conversation around odds and where someone is going to go out the window. So, is there a sort of agent X factor in any of this K Club where that could influence things that people who are generally thinking about this, whether they want to, you know, make novelty bets or just thinking about it as fans? could influence it in a way that we don't know.
1: Yeah. You, can, you know, Chad, you're, you're looking at that like an editor, because the fat, most fascinating part of the story to me was that the, the Lakers have made their decision that they're going to build this team through free agency. Um, they've had high draft picks, but they have not hit on those high draft picks. Um, and uh, by the way, I'd like to point out that the Lakers have been one of the luckiest teams in the lottery in the last 20 years. Um, they have, in the last four times they've been in the lottery, they, their number has come up. Um, three years in a row, they, they came up as the number two pick um and in all three of those years they would have lost that pick if it didn't fall in that top 5 or in one year and it was in the top 3 that's incredibly lucky especially with the pick protection issue and then this year they go from the 11 pick to the number 4 pick last year they didn't have their pick um and then, of course it didn't move up but you know the last four times they've been a lottery boom 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 um so they've elected to say we're going to we're not going to build through, through trades or free agency. I mean they're, they've tried. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, draft or trades, but we're going to try to go through free agency and to play that game you really have to play the game with the agents. You really have to open your door to the agents and, you know, cultivate those, those relationships. Um, there's no question in my mind that their decision to give Kentavious Caldwell Pope a one-year, $18 million contract two years ago was tied into the fact that his agent, Rich Paul, was representing LeBron. Um, you know, I know Rich very well. He would be very upset. Um, if I said that to his face. Um, but there's just no doubt in my mind that that played a role. Did it play a 17% role? Did it play an 83% role? I don't know. Um, but uh, the Lakers had this cap space. They didn't know what to do with it. They could only use it for a year. It wasn't like they had a ton of options, but they gave it all to Pope. And... Um, and so they were, they were kind of playing the game there. Uh, and, you know, Rich represents Anthony Davis, who is going to be a free agent unless he extends his contract next summer. And, um, you know, that's just important. And not only that, guys, but, um, you know, the guy who runs the team now is a former agent himself who was, was around the team very often with Kobe and a lot of other teams. You know, Rob Blinka had a lot of clients. In fact, um, I don't know if he was James Harden's first agent, but he represented James Harden when James Harden basically became a star. Um he had you know, a number of other agents were um, a number of other players. Um, but he certainly would have been known to how the Lakers, you know, used to sort of play things old school and keep the agents at arm's length and that, you know, for years they weren't getting free agents. They went through a dry spell where they couldn't get free agents. And I'm sure that an agent run, now running the organization had no small part to the way they changed their, do, deal with the, their uh, way that they dealt with agents. So really it's um, – it's sort of a, you know it's an organizational decision. We're either going to you know play this game or we're not. But if you want to be a free agent player, you're going to have to probably play the game on some level. Um, and I think that's really one of the one of the takeaways that you could take from the whole Lakers story. How it how could it possibly could affect the betting? Um, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is if Rich Paul is going to have. Um, access to the team plane, which Baxter describes in that story, if he's going to have access to the team in, in, in ways that other, um, that other agents don't. If I was a top agent, I wonder if I would want my, my player to go there because I would be afraid that, you know, Rich Paul would have extra access and try to steal my player. Not that I think that that's what would happen, but I could certainly see an agent being afraid to send a player LA, because of it. But guys, the agent business is as competitive as any business on earth. So it's very difficult to have one agent talk about another agent in any sort of realistic way. They always hate the other guys. They hate their competitors. They're they're perpetually stabbing each other in the back. Um, Like, you know, Magic Johnson calling Rob Polinka a backstabber. Well, find me an agent in the last 50 years in the NBA who hasn't been a backstabber on some level. You're not a successful agent if you're not a backstabber. If you don't backstab, you would never get clients. You never make money. You wouldn't make it. So if you get into that kind of business, that's what you expect to
0: have to deal with. All right. So on one side of the ledger in the Western Conference, we've got the Los Angeles Lakers who are working at the highest level of dysfunction that you could possibly imagine and has been happening for several years. On the other end, you have the Golden State Warriors, who in that same time frame have been as effective and functional and um, run an organization that is almost a mirror image because Bob Myers at the top, and he's got experience in the agent business. And Steve Kerr has been running it, and he is a former player. And so, uh, from a coaching perspective, now you've got him in the finals again for the fifth straight year. They are minus three fifty to win the title. Obviously, no value there. But right now, the odds are better that they will. Blackjack, help me out with this because I forgot the numbers here. Warriors to win the title in four, five. 6 or 7.
2: Yeah, you've got plus 500 to sweep, plus 350 in 5, plus 240 in 6 and plus 550 in 7.
0: Of all these so, numbers, l- go ahead.
1: Yeah, well let, let me ask you this, what is the price for the Raptors money line in game 1?
0: It's a good question. Let me look in the Action Network app, which is free, and I can tell you that. But um, It's I
1: mean
2: at this so point me, it's essentially this, this a
1: pick. Okay, this is the bet that you have to consider. Um, If the Raptors win game one, if you believe that the Raptors can win game one, you essentially, in my mind, are believing that this is going to be a six-game series. Um, If you believe that the Warriors are winning game one, I think you you, you now have to begin to look at betting a four-game series. And really where your feelings on that are, in my mind, you know, if you're going to make a pre-series bet, that's what you're looking at. That's what you have to consider. Um, because uh, the, 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 you know, you've got the time off, nine days. You've got the Warriors going on the road. They've only gone on the road uh, for one playoff series in the last five years. And that, I believe, was um, – um, the Rocket series last year in the conference finals, unless I'm having a brain fart. So this is something that they're no, not used it. to. Um, Toronto has a nice thing of, uh, of rest. They've, they've, you know Kawhi's gotten to rest those legs, and yet they haven't had really any rest. They began practicing yesterday. Um, there's enormous emotion. They're they on a four-game win streak. They're playing very well. If you're going to have a chance to get ahead of the... Uh, of the of the Warriors it's um it's it's in game one and the other thing I'll point out Steph Curry has been on a hot streak uh he was on a he was in a slump for the first series and a half he was shooting poorly he was struggling he couldn't make a shot Durant got hurt and he continued on the slump he he was scoreless in the first half of the game in Houston and for the last four and a half games he's been on a hot streak but one of the reasons that the Warriors are so damn deadly with Durant is that they have that margin for error, that, that um, other bullet to fire, so to speak. And I'll just take you back to last finals. In Game 3 of the finals last year, game in Cleveland, first road game, you know, sort of the Cavs' last stand, Steph Curry went 3 of 16 in that game. Uh, I believe... Klay uh, Thompson, I don't have the box where in front of me, went like 4 of 11 or 4 of 12, 4 of 10, something like that. Both of them had an off-shooting game. Uh, but Durant put in 37 um, because they had this awesome other weapon they could go to. And then in the in Game, game 4, which was a closeout game, Curry had a huge game, had 37, and they blew them off the court. So I don't think we have seen the Warriors deal with a game where Curry doesn't stay on fire and they have to deal without Durant. That game is going to happen at some point. Curry is not going to continue to shoot 45% from three-point range, especially if you defend him a little bit. And so I don't know. I wish I had a crystal ball and could tell you, yeah, Thursday night, Curry's hot streak is going to end. He hasn't played in a while. His hot streak is going to end. But if you think you're going to beat the Warriors, despite what their record is without Durant, I realize that record is 34-4. and four. I realize it's 30-1. and one. I agree. That's daunting, and why you bet against it. I'm not saying that you should. I'm just saying when Curry does not have a good shooting game, if Durant's not there to be the safety net, they are more beatable. And Durant, I think, is a game two, game three return, depending on how that leg goes. So, if you can talk yourself in to um, if you can talk yourself in to the, the the Raptors winning straight up in game one, and you can talk yourself into a money line bet. You know, you can maybe back it up with thinking that the series can go six games. Because I think if the Raptors get them once, they probably can get them again. And
2: Brian, that's kind of one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about. Because I heard you and Scottie Pippen on the jump have an interesting discussion about this uh, during the Warriors-Blazers series. I feel like Kevin Durant's not playing in this series. And I feel like the Warriors are kind of slow playing everyone and making it sound like we'll take it game to game. But it feels like... He's going to be out for most, if not all, of this series. And in my mind, if Kevin Durant's not on the floor and Kawhi Leonard doesn't have to chase him around for five or six or seven games, I think Toronto can win this series. Now, if Durant's on the floor, I'd say there's no chance. And the odds are very different. Golden State is minus 350 to win. Toronto's plus 220. We've heard the NBA ask for integrity fees. We've seen them strike a deal with MGM to exchange information and intellectual property. Where is the line between, as a better, me having all of the information necessary to make an informed decision and a team not wanting to give a strategic advantage to their opponent? Well, I think there's two different
1: discussions here. One is if an injury is unreported, and one is if the severity of an injury is made blurry. I don't think you're ever going to be able to solve the riddle of, how, well, when is Kevin Durant coming back? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If the, if the Warriors fall down 2 Kevin Durant will play in game three, I think. If they, fall down, if they fall down 1-0, we'll see. You know, if they get down 2-1, you know what I'm saying? I think whether he plays or not uh, depends kind of on how the series goes, on whether he needs to push it or not. Um, when it comes to whether, you know, an injury is completely unreported, like we had um, with LeBron James in last year's finals. Um, which in my mind is sort of the classic example here, because if you look at the numbers that LeBron was putting up in the playoffs and then you look at his game one, he had 51 points in game one. They lost in overtime on the road. He punches the blackboard. He averages seven points per game less and shoots about five or six percentage points less the next three games. He is getting MRIs. He's getting x-rays. They don't say a word. And the next three games are all sort of one-sided to me that's where i have the problem if you've got a guy who has an injury an injury significant enough that they actually did imaging you know that the, you know it's not one of these things well my knee is sore well my ankle is sore i can't you know quantify that but the other thing is the, the way that the nba could could fight back on this is they could just put every injury on they could say lebron um you know sore ankle sore hip sore shoulder hangnail um sore neck uh, sore ribs, and he, and, and he, they could have him with sore ribs for the entire postseason, and you'd never know how they really hurt. That's why I have suggested if there's imaging done, there's no gray area there. Did he have the X-ray or did he not have the X-ray? Did he have the? Because nobody's having an MRI just for fun. Nobody wants to go sit in that tube. Nobody wants to you know get in that hospital gown. Nobody wants to drive down to the thing for fun. If you have an MRI on somebody's knee or in somebody's hand, I think you should. I think you should say it. And in this last round, um, you know, uh, Damian Lillard had a a diagnosed injury on his ribs. Um, And I don't know if there was imaging on that. They never said. My guess would be that they x-rayed it. I mean, how could they, if you have a rib injury, I don't know why you wouldn't x-ray it to see if you had cracked ribs or whatever. But everybody saw him land on, him get landed on. And if you, after the game, you heard that he had an x-ray on his ribs, um, you would know that it's concern. And so to me, that's the issue. Well, when it comes to like betting on this series and trying to decide what Durant's going to do, I don't even know if Durant knows. I don't know if the Wizards or if the Warriors know. Uh, I know that when they first looked at him and they first did the examination and did the MRI, they looked at it and said, you know, that looks like three to four weeks. And by the way, we'll write at three weeks. I think tomorrow is three weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he has said that the injury is a little bit worse than he's had in the past. So I don't even think that they're off what their, what their uh, timeline was, and I wouldn't expect them to, to ever announce that. But um, my thing with the league is they literally put out a whole memo to all of their owners who said, if you own more than 20% of this, in fact, in the memo, I don't know if you guys know this, the Action Network is mentioned in the memo that the league sent to its, to its, um, to its uh, owners. Uh, when it talked about investing and owning media properties that are dedicated to gambling, and it said, an example, the Action Network, um, and so they put out all these rules that if you have 21% uh, of, a, of a of a of a company that takes bets, you, you your uh, your company, you know, you, your bets can't be uh, taken by that gambling house. Um, if you're on the board of a director's, uh, of a, of a gambling of a sports book or a company that, uh, that uh, operates or takes bets, you can't have your team's games. on. Like th- there's bullet point by bullet point by bullet point going over all of these regulations for an owner being able to take bets on his game, which, you know, to be honest with you, do you think it would honestly be really that different if the golden nuggets could take rockets bets? Do you honestly think that it would change the, any sort of um, chance of integrity issues? I mean, maybe I'm naive. I don't think so. Right. Um, um, but uh, they have, but they have not addressed the injury problem. And as far as I know, they have given the teams no guidance and not changed any of their rules. And to me, that's a big problem. And I don't really the, the integrity fee that they're chasing. That's a <clears throat> that's a pipe dream. They're never going to get that in any state. The only way they're going to get that is by getting the the, the Congress to approve to to slip that into a to a, a federal law. They tried it with the states. It didn't work. They're now going to, you know, if that bill ever becomes in front of Congress, which I'm sure it will someday, um... They'll lobby the hell out of those congressmen to try to get that done. Um, th- th- I don't think it has – that integrity fee is they're chasing money. I don't think it's really about integrity. If it was, if it was another way for them to chase money, they would. Um, but I do think for, for public appearances, you know, because you want to invite new fans, you want a fan living in Wichita, Kansas, who doesn't care about the NBA, who now may watch a game or buy a jersey or buy the NBA league pass, um, uh, or attend a couple of games in Oklahoma City a year. You want, you want to approach that guy. You've got to convince that guy and people in Spokane, Washington, and, and young kids who grew up without uh, affiliation to a team. You want to convince them to invest in the NBA. You've got to make them feel like there's some transparency. And I don't know if the league has gotten there yet when it comes to injuries. How do you like that, Blackjack? We've
0: been mentioned in the league memo. Big time. Yeah, league. as someone to stay away from. That's uh, awesome. Big time. Hey, listen. We're getting mentioned. No, There's no such thing as bad publicity. Mm. Brian, I have two more questions for you. You mentioned the opportunity is potentially, you know, betting on the Raptors tonight and then re-examining the series price. Forget about that. If you are betting on the series, who are you taking? And if it's the Warriors, how many games?
1: I've got a, I've got a real hard time trying to determine – um, just how difficult getting through the East was for the Raptors vis-a-vis how the, how, what, what the Warriors just went through. And I'm having a difficult time really comparing the teams because I can sit here and make a case for you that one of the things that, the, that bothers the Warriors is physical play. And that the Raptors are going to be really physical with them, and that um, that they've got a, a really smart defensive team. I mean, they've got two defensive player of the years in their starting lineup: Marcus Law and Kawhi Leonard, and a handful of other guys who have been on all defensive teams. Their defense is extremely playoff tested. You look at Serge Ibaka, Marcus Saul, Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, those, do, Danny Green. Those dudes know how to play defense in the playoffs. Some of those dudes have played against the Warriors in the playoffs. It's not the first time that they've prepared for that split-cut defense. And I watched them go through a grinder series against the, uh, the, 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 the Sixers, who I think have a terrific team. I watched them go through a grinder series against a team that was number one in the league in a whole bunch of categories, including record in Milwaukee, including going into Milwaukee and winning. I could convince myself The Disruptors team is actually really awesome, and the Kawhi Leonard is the kind of beast that is LeBron-level beast who could um, strike a couple of blows and cause the Warriors to bleed a little bit. Then I can go look at and say what the Warriors – they're doing right now is the highest level of basketball they've played in the last couple of years. And they've gone eight and one in the finals, the last two years and that the Raptors won't know what hit them. And this is something that I see over and over, uh, early in series. Um, uh, you are not used to the pressure that the Warriors put on you on defense. Uh, it reminded me one of the, one of the teams that, um, Really prioritized length for the first time, where they all they wanted was big rangy guys, Oklahoma City Thunder, back about the turn of the decade. Um, and when you played against the Thunder, they had all of these super long armed guys, and like the in the first quarter they would get like 10 deflections because passes that you threw against every other team were all of a sudden within the reach of the Thunder. I'll never forget this. this was like a phenomenon. Um, And the Thunder frequently had their best defensive games early in series. Um, I think it's the exact inverse of the Warriors. No matter how much film you watch, no matter how you prepare yourself for it, they run that split cut and your brain says go with Curry or your brain says go to this guy and next thing you know Draymond throws some wicked bounce pass for a dunk. You think you know the play, and then Curry goes the other direction. He's wide open on the wing, catch and shoot, gone. There's a three. Next thing you know, they've hit four in a row, and you're calling timeout, wondering how you got down twelve. I, I, I just I, uh, so I can present the cases on both sides and normally I feel like I have a good feel that I've watched these teams play for months and I go this is, this is how they, they really truly match up I don't have a good feel here I mean I honestly could sit here and tell you oh yeah I think this sucker is going six games uh, I think the Warriors will win but I think it's going to be a grinder and all the games are going to be close and they'll just eke it out or I could tell you that I think the Warriors would, are just going to take a look at this Eastern Conference dregs and pound them by ten every game. And I honestly don't know which way it's going to go. I, I don't actually think it's a good series to bet on before the series begins. Um, and I know that it, it'll, it'll cost you some money. It'll cost you some odds if you have to wait and watch game one, um, which is again why I think the real question to me is, I just, I just think that Raptors money line. And, and I wonder if as you mentioned, uh, Mr. Blackjack, that um, the way that the odds aren't equal that they're they're really incentivizing you to take the, the Warriors for the series, but they're not so crazy about having you take uh, the Raptors in Game One because the price isn't that mm-hmm. good. I think I think that's you know without having seen the odds, which is having you describe it to me, I think that reflects the bookmaker's uncertainty. I think as well. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, but I, I sort of feel that if he, if it's really that flat in uh, yeah. in Game One for allegedly a heavy favorite.
2: Yeah, I mean Toronto's minus one ten in Game One, but plus two twenty for the series. Yeah,
0: so. I think Here's, you're exactly right. This, yeah. this is what's really interesting to me. This is my last question is like, since gambling became more and more relevant in the NBA and since it became legal, you have written a ton about this. And the way you talk about it, you clearly know it. How did you learn so much about betting?
1: And I don't ever, I never was a really big sports better. Um, first off, when I saw the court case go to the Supreme Court, even before it went to the, even before it went to the um. To to the actual hearing, I felt that it had a good chance to win, because even though I'm not a law scholar, if you read if you read it, you know it was pretty clear. And then when I listened to the oral arguments, I actually listened to the to the justices asking the questions. And by the way, the two um, they, you know, the, the the two lawyers who this was like the heavy. This was like Ali Frazier... Two of the most prominent attorneys who've ever, you know, have gone before the court round after round after round. Some of the, one of them was, the, was one of the Bush-Gore lawyers who actually won. The, the guy who actually Ted lost Olson. the case, Ted Olson, Ted Olson, actually won Bush-Gore um, in front of the Supreme Court. One of the most important Supreme Court cases of our lifetime. Um, if you listened to the actual oral arguments, you could tell that the gamblers were going to win. And so even though we had to wait five months, and that was why, obviously, a lot of people felt that. Um, Chad, you must have felt it, too, because you left a really good job to go to the Action Network because you thought this was going to happen. And so more than my interest in the actual gambling itself, I, I felt that there was something. Because one of the things I like to do is I like to try to find complex subjects and try to explain them um, and try to explain them to the audience, sort of like, hey, let me help you get smarter here. Let me try to do the hard work for you. And I felt like this, that gambling is, was an area where you could do this. So I also feel like um, there's very little uh, of, of voices of authority on gambling right now. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's few people out there who could say to the league, hey, when are you going to address this injury disparity situation? You can't talk about gambling and try to figure out how to get money from these folks on one end and not change your policies on the other. Like somebody had to be the voice to say, how about you do that? And since I don't really have any interest or investment in the gambling side of it, but I do have an interest in fairness and I do have an interest in the changing landscape. I felt like that was some, that was a, a zone that I could play in. So, um, I, I don't really want this to be my beat. Um, you know, for example, guys, I write a lot about NBA officiating um, because that's something that nobody really wants to talk about. They just complain about it, but I actually think it's like super important. And, um, you know, I, I sort of had it up to here with the Houston Rockets and the Warriors bitching about calls in, the, in, the, in that series, and I pretty much took them both to task and as loud of a me- megaphone as I could get my hands on. And so I kind of feel like that's a space where nobody really wants to do that, but I think it's important. Nobody really wants to talk about the, uh, the bones of what happens, you know, with the league and the game. I mean, who really cares that there's memos going out about what the owners can do? Well, that's kind of where I come in. I care about it. <laughs> and so I try, to, I try to track it for whatever that audience is interested in. Well, listen,
0: you're nailing it, as you always have. And, and if I didn't tell you when we were working together, I think you're a marvel. And I apologize if I held back in my No, confidence. I'm uh, teasing. I, actually, I know, I'm
1: kidding. You, know, you never want to hear from the boss, right? Like uh, when a the, when the text would come in or when Chad's phone would come up or there would be an email, I'd go, you know, your first thing is, oh, no, what did I do? So I actually would prefer to have not heard. I think no news. I think in our business, no news is good, <laughs> good news. I, th- I think any time you reach out, it's usually because there's some sort of problem.
0: I feel blackjack just pulled the microphone closer to his mouth, and I feel like he was going to say something obnoxious, and I'm cutting him off. So no, no, <laughs> he he might just be sleeping. I apologize, Brian. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, spending all this time making us much much smarter about the NBA free agency, the NBA finals. This was fantastic.
1: Thanks. I really appreciate you having me. Good luck with everything. Talk to Thanks, Brian.
0: We want to thank Brian Winners for coming on the show. He was pretty amazing, wasn't he? Blackjack. He was awesome. Give me like. In more than four words, what you think the most interesting thing. I have like three things that I thought were amazing, but give me your most amazing thing because the guy knows everything. Nobody wants to play with LeBron and the Lakers. Why are you acting like this right now? I'm just being succinct. But why? I didn't ask you to be succinct.
2: Do I just do things that you ask me to?
0: Oh, my God. I thought he was amazing on the, the idea around the Lakers, but also the idea of like, how agents are sort of playing in the space, I thought was really smart. That was fascinating. Also, his take on the finals and sort of finding the advantage in the series and not really betting on anything until you see what happens tonight. Obviously, you're not going to make as much money, but I thought that take was really interesting, and I want to thank him for coming on. He was actually... um, It's a really good idea. The Raptors will still be plus money even if they win game one. Oh, he was actually a little more committed to the podcast today than you were. Well, he didn't have to sit next to you, so... This has been the favorites from the Action Network. Downloaded on Apple Podcasts Radio.com slash the Action Network or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, love you.
2: Don't steal my style.